Warning. This podcast does not contain actual virgins. Discretion is advised. The Movie Virgins. And I'm Lindsay Schaefer. And this is Movie Virgins, a very special episode of Movie Virgins. One, because we're back in our office, which is actually just my living room, together again. It's true. Like, we're still, I mean, we're still playing it safe. We're not, like, making out or sexing or anything, but. Can I just say, though, every time you say it's a very special episode, all I can think is one of us got our period. One of us did get our period. No, I'm just kidding. Did you? Oh, yeah, no, I'm riding it right now. There's, I don't know, maybe I'm pregnant. I don't know. Oh, that could be. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, worth it if you don't have cramps, I guess, right? <laughs> Winning. Yeah. I better not be pregnant. Anyway, uh, so. you got to get rid of that <laughs> shit. <laughs> Fetus be gone. Um, I think I know someone who could help me with that. Her name is Shirley. Shirley Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> and, Maybe a little, like, stinging nettle or something. She to... might be a witch. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so, anyway, we watched Shirley. 2020 Shirley, which was released at Sundance this January and and in our living rooms last night yes it was on the hulu so we streamed it on the hulu um starring elizabeth moss yes and a few other people whose names i can't remember logan lerman ouch a few other people i can't remember odessa what's her face was very good i thought michael stuhlberg oh my god stanley hyman stanley hyman um also let's go back to boardwalk empire for a second oh really yeah dude i cannot I still cannot believe that there's anybody who has not watched Boardwalk Empire, even though I know there are so many people. But Arnold Rosting, Arnold Rosting, he's, he's just... Was he the dean? Who was he? Fucking amazing. Was he but, the dean? What are you talking about? In oh, Boardwalk oh, Empire? Michael Stuhlberg is... Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. Is Arnold Rosting. Interesting. He was... He, he's a real guy. I looked at his photo on IMDb, and I didn't recognize him. He looks completely different in this film. Yeah, he's a he's a pretty good one at transforming himself. I think, although his voice is always very recognizable. recognizable. He might be my favorite part of this movie. Oh, he's fucking amazing. So, so we watched it for the first time last night. So this is kind of like initial reactions, sort of. But what did what did you think? Me? Yeah. Do you not do Do you want to go first? Should I, I go first? adored everything about it. Ah! <gasps> Yay! A win. I we were. F- 10 minutes in and part of me wanted to pause the movie and just start writing. I don't know what it is about every aspect of every character and every moment. Um, the the locales, the time, uh, everything that came out of Shirley's mouth, the way that the story was woven together, um, every element of it was just for me inspirational uh in terms of of crafting a mystery okay um phrasing kept popping into my head just as they would go through certain scenes which is as a writer like a magical thing so you were just inspired by it so i was uh, yeah i was definitely very inspired by it but i also just enjoyed it mm-hmm. um and i think there were a lot of wonderful moments and and insights that were carried in it um, there were things I was looking for also. I was looking for, you know, hits of Haunting on Hill House or The Lottery or We've Always Lived in the Castle. Like, I was looking for little things, too, mm-hmm. which was kind of fun. Um, yeah, I, I think the perspective shifts were great. Being able to kind of see things from Charlie's perspective and see things from Rosie's perspective and seeing d- to an extent things from this the perspective of this missing girl mm-hmm. uh, without any kind of jarring sort of shift yes. of, of it perception. Was it was Yeah, it yeah. was all very... Because they are all, in a way, connected and they did all, in a way, understand each other because they all had this shared experience of being women who are not seen, which is women in general, mm-hmm. frankly. Yeah. Um, the the part where she says, 
he says, well, you know, what, what happens in the end? And she says, well, or what happens to her? And he's like, well, the, she's the same thing that happens to all of us girls. We go mad. Mm. I fucking love it. I love it. Yeah, no, that theme of of being a woman who isn't seen and... What does Rosie, Rosie even says it at one point, you know, yeah. why would she disappear? Well, maybe it was the only way she could be noticed is yeah. to disappear. Yeah. And and uh, at one point, Shirley and Stanley are talking and she's saying, I know her. I, mm-hmm. There are hundreds of women like her on colleges, campuses, everywhere. Yeah, a yeah. woman who is misunderstood mm-hmm. who does feels like she doesn't belong who is made to feel like she doesn't belong and i think you know shirley jackson had that same that same uh, feeling not just from being who she is and where she came from but where she ended up to being in that kind of small cloistered town of more traditional white bread people of a certain economical status a certain and stature ilk. and uh you know yeah she she was definitely sort of ostracized in that community too for being different and Mm -hmm. weird and thinking in a different way which is uh, that's that's part of what I think I found so inspirational about Mm -hmm. it too is there is it wasn't just a movie about somebody who thought differently or acted weirdly or anything like that it was the way everything was shot and the way the story was told was different and odd and it again played with perspective and it played with it played with sanity to a, a point too, you know, where you're not entirely sure if some of what's going on is imagined or if it is imagined by these women, why they're falling into this. And I think you get that idea that uh, maybe, maybe being with Shirley is actually kind of driving Rosie mad. Or is but, it making her sane? Well, that's the thing is I, I do think she was to an extent driven mad to be freed yes in the end she's she's free because of that that is what madness if madness means freedom yes i think that that's because what does she say to her husband at the end going back to that place like being the wifey that would be madness yeah absolutely and i think that's that's what you get from this too is there's a freeing element of and I, i saw it in little moments there were little moments with like uh just surely walking in the woods which was mostly in the, in her imagination, of course, because she was in the house most of the time. Right. But, like, just walks through the woods or the, the point where uh, Rosie was, like, just rubbing herself with mud. Um, I did uh, certain... <laughs> when that was happening, I was like, what the fuck is happening? Oh, no, I got it 100% and I loved it because what that is is moments of letting go. It's It's a weird thing that why would you do that? But haven't you ever felt the urge to do that? Or when they're eating the mushrooms and she's... She knew that they weren't poisonous, but she was creating a world in which they were, and she still took that bite of it. Yeah. And I don't think that was all just a joke. No, no. It was, there was an element of creating this different world with high stakes and buying into it. It's, it's kind of like that idea that, haven't you ever felt that way when you're in traffic? It's going to sound so fucking terrible, even though I know everybody's felt that this I way. That I just want to drive my car into somebody else's yeah, car? That, or, yeah. Or a light pole or something. Or you just, just want to... You're going over an overpass and you're like, I I remember I was in middle school or high school and I had a friend, she said it and at the time it was kind of like, why would you say that? But she was like, you guys ever driving over that overpass outside of town and you think, I'm just going to drive right off. Just want to cut the wheel? Yeah. Now here's the thing. That's kind of, you get that in the end, towards the end of the movie too, when they're standing in that that cliff, that overhang and that's that, that moment of. And I'm of course not saying that anything that results in your death or harm to others is something that you should do. But there are little things in our lives, too, that I think we have these these desires. And they might be dumb and meaningless and pointless, like rubbing mud on yourself or eating a mushroom or just walking in the woods. Like walking barefoot through the woods. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a terrible idea, really. You're probably going to hurt your foot. You it's definitely are going to hurt your foot. But don't you kind of want to do it? Or like roll down a hill like when you were a kid. Or just do stupid yeah. shit. Just like dumb, meaningless stuff that doesn't even mean anything, but we all adhere to this certain, this certain edict, this certain social standard of like you just don't do that. You just you don't, don't rub yourself you, in mud. You don't. You don't, you don't pour don't, wine on somebody else's. You couch. don't pour wine on somebody's couch, right? You don't like piss yourself in the middle. Like, whatever it is, you just don't you do don't, it. You don't. I know this was Stanley, but you don't tell your your protege that his work is derivative. Right. Exactly. But you do. But you do. Sure. Well, I think that was what was so great about about them too is. They're not buying into all that stuff. If you have a desire to do something, and, okay, his, his 
saying that could in a way be considered harmful because he could have sort of hurt him but he really was a dick yeah ultimately it's not really hurting anybody to do these things fucking give in and let go go rub yourself in mud talk to people talk to people honestly yeah you know if somebody's trying to read your work don't say i'm sorry i would really rather that you leave my office say get the fuck away from my work yeah it's, it's politeness right it's civility it's um are we i guess the question then is are we hurting ourselves i mean if we think about the women in this movie and like they're kind of trapped into this like role of Shirley is not Shirley has she's out that's in a way I think that are, what I was she's trapped in other ways yeah the madness is, yeah it is madness to be trapped in a mind and a body that's not your own if you're not letting yourself shine through you're not being yourself that is insanity no matter what kinds of bizarre things you do on the outside that may make other people think that you're crazy which of course is what Shirley encounters and then it it can be very cyclical. I mean, I think she she let go and let herself be herself. Mm-hmm. And then as a result, people ostracized her and she had a lot of anxiety. She became very agoraphobic. She, I mean, she died when she was like 48. It's awful. But in that time frame, she was herself. Yeah. I keep thinking about that, um, that dressing room scene. Mm-hmm. Every woman has lived that. And if you haven't, good for you but good for you and we hate you sorry because i kept thinking about like the patriarchy right and how they're kind of being held down by that but surely is not surely is and you see slo- she, she still is though she is in a way but not in the same way that like rosie is and when you see rosie in the beginning she's her hair is pinned up and perfect and her makeup is perfect and slowly she lets her hair grow out and she doesn't try as hard with her hair or her clothes or her makeup and she becomes more like shirley but they have to go to this place and get shirley an outfit because she's going to go to this dinner with stanley the fucker and she's putting on clothes that don't fit mm-hmm. and if you haven't i'm if you are a woman who hasn't been in a dressing room, who hasn't tried to put yourself into a size too small because... And who hasn't just stood there feeling helpless and yes. tearing up because yes. of it. It's it's so fucking awful. And and you don't have to be in a dressing room either. I do it, you know, just you know, at home. You know, when you're closing your own closet. <laughs> but that, if you think about it, isn't that the ultimate, um, like, analogy for the system? Like, the system is telling us we need to be a particular size. Mm-hmm. So we have to put ourselves in that size. And if we don't fit, we feel bad about ourselves. It's that box. You have to put yourself in that box. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's it's so awful. So you see this person, Shirley, who in a lot of ways is so free and, like, just doesn't give any fucks. And I was thinking, when am I going to get there? I want to be there. But she also was held back by so much. Like I said, the, she was. Her the fact that the community, well, the fact that the community was so awful to her, you could tell it hurt her even though mm-hmm. she would play it off as though it didn't. When she was talking to her husband and, you know, she knows he's having affairs and he even says, this is the agreement that we made, mm-hmm. you know, as long as I tell you about it. But you can still see, granted it's a movie with Elizabeth Moss, maybe she's just a great actress and Shirley didn't actually care I don't know but in the movie you can see that she does care it It does still hurt to be to be I mean even when she tells what was the librarian woman even when she says like you would bore him Mm -hmm. to tears and I think she truly believes that but a hundred percent there's still a part of her that's thinking I can't give him what she can though Mm -hmm. And that's terrible. And why is it that the woman has to give everything? Mm -hmm. The woman is expected to cook and clean and take care of him in, in, like she said at the the dinner table, you know, anticipate your every need and fulfill your every need. uh, And also look a certain way and behave a certain way and respond a certain way to everything that you do or say. But you can leave and you can go to work and you can further your career and you can do whatever it is that you want. And if people say things about you, well, it just doesn't matter. And chances are they won't say things about you. And you can go and fuck whoever you want to. Exactly. Look at how Stanley behaved. He was the life of the party. He was dancing around like a fuck fuck nut, a fool. He was fucking everything that moved. And everybody loves Stanley. Stanley's great. We love him. But Shirley, oh, Shirley's just an odd duck. And I think you can make the argument, of course, that this was decades ago, certainly. Things were different, yes. But... Things are not that different now. now. Has the box changed? Absolutely. Am I expected as a woman to know how to cook? By some people, I'm sure. But you know what, guys? I can't fucking cook worth a shit. Uh, Of course, I'm not married. Maybe that's why. I don't know. It's definitely why. Is that? I think think there are more reasons than that. (laughs) I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. But there are other things. We talked about this the other day, too, just in talking about work. And that was one of the the things that kept popping up into my mind watching this movie because the sexism that is 
kind of discussed or not even overtly discussed but alluded to in this a lot of it is sort of vague you know I mean obviously there's the husbands having affairs and that's a bit more obvious and those boxes and it's a bit more obvious but there are other little just kind of insidious things and I do think there are still boxes that we're made to fit into today um and one of the big ones that I know I've experienced a lot is you know if a man is in a meeting or even just speaking to someone and he has ideas and he <gasps> speaks about them guess what people fucking respond and if a woman starts talking starts talking has she has ideas or maybe she's saying that this thing was done incorrectly Mm -hmm. maybe she's trying to correct someone maybe she just opened her fucking mouth the conversation all of a sudden conversation's dead nobody wants to respond and then all and then you get the uh the moniker of being what nosy or a bitch bitchy i don't know outspoken i have people think that i just talk all the time and it's and they don't think that i'm talking because i have ideas they're thinking that i'm just talking like that's the idea that pops into someone's head and i can't speak of course for everyone listening to you i I can't speak for everyone whom we work with but i know that there are some people who if you say you know how do how do you feel about Lindsay in meetings or something like that she talks too much yeah exactly she talks too much or we've heard before because we'll have meetings together and Mm -hmm. a lot of times we will be discussing something Mm -hmm. and throwing ideas back and forth and actually listening to one another and other people read that as arguing yeah because even though men can sit there and talk somewhat heatedly and it's considered a discussion if women start to get a little bit heated because they believe in something and are getting excited about something Mm -hmm. it's considered arguing so we've heard from multiple people that you and I in meetings we get too heated and we start arguing Mm -hmm. but does anybody actually say but they come up with really good ideas or they drive conversation forward or they help us to articulate things or they help us to communicate or maybe they're just communicating in a different way or anything like that and I don't think like the arguing is fine as long as you're doing it respectfully and I've been trying to be really careful about that especially at work or just out in life like don't call names don't be insult don't say insults just have it you know share your point of view and share listen to their point of view and but I don't think when men argue I think people do see it as being discussion and when women argue I think they see it as whoa things are about to go off the rails oh these women are about to get hysterical it's so hard for me you know and I like I like to think that I'm paying attention to these things but I don't think I've paid enough attention because when we were talking about it the other day and our friend brought it up I was like damn she's right and you know what on Friday, there was a meeting. I think, and, uh, oh, when, yeah, when she said that she feels yes. like the conversation shuts mm-hmm. down. On yeah. this last, it was yesterday, there was a meeting, and somebody, it was a man, had an idea about doing something, and they were actually talking about mm-hmm. it, and she was just like, and and our boss was like, yeah, sounds like, and she just goes, like, I've had this idea before. I mean, oh, she, she had to say, but here's the thing, I know she's had the idea before, because I've because you listened. Yes. Yeah. And it's frustrating because it's like this guy says it and now suddenly we're talking in it, about it and taking it seriously. Why didn't we take it seriously? And I promise you, in the environment that we're in, none of the men in our in that environment are intentionally doing that. No, that's what I mean by it's not overt. Yeah. Sometimes I think, and it could be that they're listening now because it matters more now, but it's frustrating to think that somebody would have an idea before and was got it got ignored, but now that... you Because know, I know we see it where it's like, and I do the same shit too, it's like, you can tell me, Leah, put frozen fruit in your smoothie I have to come to that conclusion on my own I see that at work a lot with you know people in management who are like it's like but when I told you to put frozen fruit fruit in your smoothie you argued with me about it (laughs) which granted was stupid of you because it's what you should be doing but the point is is I know you heard me say it yeah because you spoke out against it it wasn't just sheer silence of Lindsay has spoken and it was meaningless (laughs) right and I get that a lot yeah and maybe it's because I say a lot because I speak a lot. Sure. Mm-hmm. I would probably get it less often if I shut my pretty little mouth you, more. You should. Get back in the kitchen. Right. Getting pregnant. That's how I just put on some of that bright red lipstick <laughs> and just sit there and pout all nice and pretty and not say a little word. Yeah. It's, I don't know how to be that way, though. It's interesting. I mean, we're talking about this and, I mean, there's lots of other conversations going on in the world right now. They're important conversations. We should all be having these conversations to think about more than, you know, like sexism, racism, all of it. But, um... I just, I guess, I'm just kind of living in my own little bubble of like, and not really thinking about it, but more recently I've been starting to think about it more, but the thing that's fucked up is that I almost gaslight myself about this stuff, and I I second guess, I'm like, that's why I told you that the other day, what did you say the other day, you said, 
you said that you feel like you, you feel like you get shut down in meetings or that you end up talking too much and people aren't listening and so what I was you actually said, actually trying not to talk yes so much. what you said was exactly that I'm trying not to talk so much and I that is a that is so absurd that is, and here's why and this is I think this is what I told you the other day mm-hmm. too you had been drinking a lot so I don't know if you really remember what yes, I said I had been drinking and I do remember what you said but please repeat it <laughs> I need to hear it again if you if you ever have the urge to not speak in a meeting mm-hmm. where you are expected to contribute and and have be part of the conversation ask yourself why because that's what it, if you are if you're saying I need to keep quiet because you find yourself talking over others and you find yourself not listening to other people like absolutely yeah, yeah. that that is you should take a back seat mm-hmm. and let other people talk but if you're thinking to yourself I should just not speak because nobody is listening mm-hmm. fuck that be louder and I will say in that meeting in particular I don't know that I've been one of the louder voices it's really interesting um, in in these virtual meeting rooms that are happening right now because it's different people (laughs) who are on video and then you have the people who don't have their video on for whatever reasons maybe they don't have a camera i feel bad for the no camera people because sometimes i think they get forgotten because i can see everybody else's face but i forget those other people are there Mm -hmm. but it's i don't think it's overwhelmed by male voices um but because i know that like there's another manager who's in a different department and he doesn't speak up that much um, but I appreciate it when he does speak up. And I guess I just, I'm trying to find that sweet spot between like, oh, because I'm the kind of person, if somebody asks a question, I have an answer immediately. Yeah. I have a res- an immediate response. And I want to be a person who digests the what's been asked and really think about my response and see if my immediate response is really the thing I should be saying. And not to say that I, or, or if that's really what I... I want to be I want to think about it a little bit more I don't want to be a person who just immediately like I just am I'm just like a person who just like you ask me any question and I'm like got a response and it annoys me when people take time to think about it and I think I shouldn't be annoyed at people for thinking you know I should let them think yeah but some people need too much time and some people can, some people can't make decisions sure and you should lose your turn then that's all I feel <laughs> if you're not gonna speak up and say something you then should you should lose your turn you exactly lose your turn. yes yeah. you have five seconds to respond it's just like debate yes why can the world not operate more like that? <laughs> Fuck. So I didn't know a lot about Shirley Jackson before. I mean, I know the lottery, the story of the lottery. Mm-hmm. I've obviously, I'm familiar with The Haunting of Hill House. I watched the series. I, I haven't read, I really have, I've read the lottery. I haven't read any of her other stuff, but I am familiar with the stories and, and. Um, right. Well, yeah, you'd be yeah. crazy not to be familiar yeah. with them. I guess. Um, but I, I didn't know anything about her. So watching this movie was, I thought, kind of great. And man, I dogged the hell out of Elizabeth Moss. Really, Invisible Man. Not so much Elizabeth Moss, but the Invisible Man movie. Yeah. She is so incredible in this one. I think one. we talked about that a little bit with the Invisible Man, too. That she's mm-hmm. she's interesting in that not... Certainly not everything she does is good. That could be said of anyone. Mm-hmm. But she's not always good. Like, there are times where I watch her and I think, wow, she's terrible. Like, maybe she's overacting or maybe the character just seems wrong or weird or somehow she seems fake or indulgent and then other times you watch her and she's fucking amazing Mm. and I don't know what the difference is if it's maybe she's just connecting with a certain character in a way that she's not with another or if it's the direction you know maybe 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 it's how she's portrayed I don't blame the The invisible man was just a bad movie it it definitely was um but I've seen other things that she's been like the west wing is a great show and she's not and granted she was a lot younger then too but she was not good in it I don't think think so (laughs) But uh, but she's great. Yeah, she's great in this. I really what's his name again? Michael Stuhlberg. Stuhlberg. Michael yeah. Stuhlberg. I think the the guy who plays her husband Stanley. Yeah, he was my absolute favorite. The two of them together though made me so fucking happy. Their relationship was so fabulous to watch. I could just watch them over. I could just keep watching them. Just keep talking. Just keep talking. People keep having your keep living your fucking crazy lives. It it's, was so great. It was wonderful and awful at the yes, same time exactly yeah. yes like the which the i thought scene, was so realistic about a relationship oh, yeah. is wonderful and awful at the same time the scene where she's you know, towards the beginning where she's in bed and she can't get out of bed and he's he's counting he's to poking three. at her you know and he's telling her like yeah you know? and you can see that he's pushing her he, he's not just placating you, you know and he and he tells her like it's cocktail hour you have to get out and get dressed <laughs> it's so kind of it's you can tell that they know each other so well but then later you go downstairs and you're you know down there and he can she can see him 
flirting with Rosie and mm-hmm. she Ugh. knows it, the call comes and she knows that it's one of his mistresses mm-hmm. and and then you're thrown into this kind of dark underside underbelly of their relationship too so yeah it it, it and was then later, and, fun. and then later you hear from the librarian you know when she's talking to Rosie and she's saying well, I, I hear that she just can't work. She can't even get out of bed. And she's like, no, she's she's working. She's not leaving the house, sure, mm-hmm. but she's working all the time. And she's just like, well, I only know what I hear from her husband. Her husband is going around and talking to women about yep. her saying, yep. oh, Shirley, she's just so fragile and she's just so depressed mm-hmm. and she just can't even get out of bed and she just can't even do this or that. And that is so fucking... It's gross. Duh. And he... He gaslights the shit out of Rosie too when Rosie oh, yeah. says, "Oh well, she's she's got a half a manuscript now. Are those is that really a manuscript? Have you at, is it just or is it just pages? Just pages. How he said it was so perfect and oh, he was yeah. so good at it. And it definitely there were moments that reminded me so much of The Shining because here she is, this writer who can't get out of bed, mm-hmm. just like Jack in that hotel, and he's bringing her breakfast and they're in the be- she's in the bed and you see the mirror. It was just like there's an element of madness to any kind of creativity, and yes. I think it was portrayed. I, I do think it was portrayed in The Shining, but I think it was isolation was of course a, a bigger yeah. um, thing in in The Shining, and I do think you got the creative madness more Mm -hmm. so in here where she has to dive in really deep into this missing girl and trying to visualize her and figure out who she actually is and what she was thinking and feeling this woman who is very likely dead so I mean that's a weird thing to do but there's it's something you have to do to to spark that that creative thought Mm -hmm. and I think that's kind of what I was trying to and it's hard to explain when you're in it when you're feeling it but that's kind of what I was trying to get to with the inspirational aspect of this movie is there was something about it that was showing me the maddening aspect of being creative and I don't know if you've ever felt that but it feels fucking amazing it's 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 manic it definitely is manic um that you can sit there and just oh yeah your head have thoughts your head feels completely clear and it's just coming out of you yes i wouldn't say my head feels I don't know. clear for me it feels like clarity but <laughs> it, it also feels feel like, like but it also feels like i'm a little bit high like i've had a lot of sugar and a lot of diet yeah yeah, yeah. Do, Th- and i'm just like mm-hmm. that's what i mean by the the manicness certainly but that's why i've never my head isn't usually clear at that point it's usually just a whirlwind of thoughts which may not be all that different from my <laughs> typical head experience, so you've been but. the muse is with you and you're just yeah and the conduit an amazing feeling and I'm not saying that I've ever created anything you know obviously quite like who knows Shirley Jackson there's brilliance at least (laughs) nothing that that I've received that kind of feedback on but yes it's whether you've ever published anything or not if you've sat down to write and you've had that feeling it's a magical one Mm -hmm. and I got that from this movie that Mm -hmm. that it's it's magical and maddening and frustrating and and awful and manic and exhausting and and yet something that you would never give up for anything in the world. It's, it's a little bit like a drug, obviously not a dangerous <laughs> drug in the same way. And in fairness, uh, Shirley Jackson did have a problem with amphetamines. Mm. So some of that madness may not have come just from the, the muse. Well, it sounded it, like reading, though I was just reading the Wikipedia uh, about her, like she had a she had some medical issues that mm-hmm. led to her having like she was taking sleeping pills and amphetamines so she was just in that like that loop yeah, yeah that she couldn't get out of and that there was damage to her body and that's what ultimately because what she said she was 48 when she died yeah, she, she had a kind of heart condition yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. which i'm sure was not exacerbated at all by the use of amphetamines oh and the smoking i'm sure she yeah. was a heavy smoker and it weight like. problems and everything yeah, and the so. drinking and everything yeah. so i guess I didn't think about it until this morning because it was really late at night when I watched this and um because I started the night by watching The Healer on Netflix with Oliver Jackson Cohen and it's just dumb and don't watch it I don't even know it um and I I guess so he was the one of the twins from The Haunting of Hill House Mm mm-hmm which is based on a Shirley Jackson story, and Victoria You're talking Burdett, about the TV show, mm-hmm. and Vic- which is great and everyone should watch. It's fabulous. Even though it's not really anything like her book, of course, right, but it's, it's still amazing. Victoria Pedretti was the other twin. She's also in this movie, but she must have just been one of the young co-eds because I didn't remember seeing her anywhere. Huh. Um, anywho's, I... At the end of the movie, I was really confused. <laughs> 
I wasn't exactly sure what had happened because there was that shot. So you have Shirley and Rosie on this overlook, mm-hmm. and Shirley's holding the baby. Um, and it reminded me of that movie Mama. You seen Mama? No. You seen Mama? No, I know. What... You've seen Mama? No. Yes, you have. Oh, oh, uh, Mama. Yeah, with the with, ghosty thing with Jessica Chastain yeah, 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 yeah. and Nikolai Coster Waldo. Sorry, and... I was thinking of Mother. Yeah, Mama. Yes, <gasps> Mama is so because good. Mama has the best horror movie moment that I've ever seen. What? It's when the ghost woman is like in the kids' bedroom, and there's the kids are like screaming, and you know what's going yeah. on. And Jessica Chastain comes into the bedroom, and she's just kind of annoyed. She's like, "What is going on in here?" And she walks in, and she sees the ghost thing, and she just Loses freaks the fuck out. <laughs> and I feel like you don't see that enough in horror movies. The real mm-hmm. reaction i loved that still sticks with me just because that is the only time i feel like i've seen a real reaction to a ghost mm-hmm. not like a horror movie scream of, right. oh, yeah, or like, like a, a real legit but like, like a what the fuck is that <laughs> that movie is that and the end of that movie is so intense and i need to watch it again because i really yeah, love I it. forgot all about that but there, i always remember that part but then the rest of the movie i forgot all about that they're on that overlook and it really reminded of that me of that and, and shirley's holding the baby and then there's a shot at the end the last shot of the overlook and rosie isn't there Mm-hmm. And it makes, and so I was so confused by that. Did she jump? But she obviously didn't jump because you see her then in the car with her husband, Fred, mm-hmm. going away. So was it supposed to symbolize something else? Was this Shirley's imagination? Like it was that kind of, so I was kind of confused. And then I was like, was were Rosie and Fred even real? And then I remembered this morning at the very beginning when Fred is talking to Shirley about them before they get to the house and he says, they'll do nicely. So I feel like, where I landed was Shirley and Fred, it's not Shirley and Fred, Shirley and Stanley invited this young couple into their home. I also love the first thing that Shirley says to Rosie is, I didn't know you were pregnant. And then I was like, she's a witch. And then later on she confesses to being a witch. And I was like, thank God. I knew she was a witch. Which is a little <laughs> bit much in terms of the semi-biographical yeah, aspect. Yeah. She's I mean, not she, actually a witch. Yeah, well, maybe she was. She lives but in there's a witch's no reason to, I think part of the reason why it, it bothered me just a hit, a, a touch is because so many people put that label on her and I mm. I don't think she really was that, that label was placed on her because she actually gave into her imagination and wrote these things that were creative wonders mm-hmm. and yet so many people are whether they're jealous because they can't come up with it or they don't understand how somebody could create those kinds of stories but they attach something to it that shouldn't be attached to it that, oh, in order to tap into that kind of... She has to be yeah. of the devil. Yeah. I loved what um, Rosie said to her first in the beginning, too. Your, your stories are thrillingly horrible. I was like, oh, what a cheesy thing to say, barf. She's so young, though. She is. It was, re- it was really cute, but they invite this young couple into their home... And then they basically fuck with them for months. Yeah. And that's that's their thing, right? That's what they do. And did they do it so that Shirley could be inspired? To I, get a little bit of fodder? I don't know. Is that why? And was that really what it was the entire time? Because in the end, because in the beginning you see them and they're, and it, I think this must be their pattern, right? They're throwing this party and Shirley, they're joking about their marriage and how, and oh, they just lived with each other and it's, you know, oh, I just... Yeah, what is it, at one point somebody says that she's anti-Semitic, and he's like, well, she never was until so she, she married me. me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess it was true that, um, it's true, because I read in the Wikipedia that, if the Wikipedia tells the truth, that he read her story and was like, I'm going to marry this woman. Yeah. But. I think that's so interesting, too, though, to be so attracted to someone's art. Yeah. And to want to be with them for that like to just want to breathe the same air as this mm-hmm. this genius and he was such which a is prick. beautiful but god don't you think maybe you should love her for who she is also and you could you could argue the point that i, I guess to an extent what she puts out there is representative of who mm-hmm. she is but it's not all that she is obviously it's not all that she is or she, she wouldn't have been as as miserable but she is a genius i mean her writing is genius and Anyway, so the pattern, right? Like, you see them kind of tete-a-tete entertaining the audience at this party, and then the kids show up, and things kind of seem to go off the rails. But I feel like, was it a show? I don't know. And was she fucking Rosie? Because I can't figure it out. Fucking her? No, I don't think so. So just flirting, like heavy petting type stuff. I I think it's all an exploration. I think for how I read it, at least, was that Shirley was really trying to get into the mind of of this this young woman who disappeared and she saw parallels 
with Paula yes. was her name, right? Yeah, Paula and Rosie. Yeah, so she, she saw, saw parallels between Paula and Rosie and was just trying to get as close to her and to understand her as much as she could so that she could get into that character's mind. And I think when she was doing it, I, you get the feeling that she certainly doesn't really... I do think she ended up caring for Rosie. She did. But I, and the baby I don't too. think when she was in that mindset, that sort of, so to speak, research mind, I, I don't think that she was actually caring about Rosie at all or caring if she hurt her at all. And she definitely mind-fucked her. And I think that, that I think that she knew, at least at times, that she was mind-fucking her and that she was driving her a little mad. But I also think that... You know, I think, again, we were talking about when we get to the end... And you can argue that Rosie's lost her mind a little bit, but really she's become more clear and she's found herself by letting go, which could from the outside be perceived as a form of insanity, but is really just her being her. Mm -hmm. So I I think you're you're made to maybe think that the way the movie goes, uh, progresses, you're made to maybe think that maybe Shirley led her down that path purposefully, that she led her to this sense of freedom. I don't know that that's it because I think you can see along the way all the different times where she didn't have to fuck with her, but she did. Yeah. And it really seems like she doesn't actually care about what's going on with this woman. She's just having fun. And I do think that I think she led her down this path that ultimately led to her freedom, so to speak. Um, But I don't think she did it for her at all. I think everything that she did was for her own gain, Mm. which was to complete this book to do it like that she's obsessive she she has she has to write she has to get the story out and you can't get the story out if you can't tap into the characters of the story so i i got the feeling that that was basically what her relationship with rosie was is trying to get in touch with paula i and i'd argue too i feel like anything that okay shirley was a bitch to rosie in the beginning and she was kind of a bitch to her throughout and then they became friends and rosie Helped Shirley out in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. But even then, she didn't tell her until towards the very end that her husband was fucking other women. Right. She held that close the whole time. Right. But I... I, And I think the sexual thing, again, I don't don't think that there was real attraction there with Shirley. I think that was fucking with her, too. Just pushing buttons. Just see what she can get away with. See what this woman is capable of or wants to do. um, See how far she can push her. And see what see what she really wants out of life you know like who are you really i'm just going to mm-hmm. keep pushing and pushing until we see exactly who you are which i think one of the things i found so fascinating too i love the scene where she's breaking eggs mm-hmm. just she's throwing just off the table pushing them off the, rolling them off and it's just such a perfect like again we've all felt that yeah i want to break something break some eggs. i want to break something and she's doing it in such a small quiet subtle way mm-hmm. and then at the party later when she's just tossing sandwiches and it's just this teensy tiny oh, that, little that was paula but she's that's my point is she's yeah. the same person because mm-hmm. yeah. it was actually rosie doing it she was, she was seeing, seeing her as paula oh i thought that was all in shirley's head mm, i don't think so maybe yeah. but yeah i mean there's a this is a silly thing but there's a thing i remember from a ramona book um who wrote the, was it beverly cleary wrote the ramona books yeah oh yeah yeah the um ramona's a little kid right and she she's in the bathroom brushing her teeth and she squeezes the toothpaste out of the tube and it's so satisfying to squeeze it out of the tube yeah so then she just like keeps going and she just squeezes all the toothpaste out of the tube into the sink and of course she gets in trouble and they have to put it into a cup and she has to use the toothpaste out of that cup but yeah it's that thing of this is a thing i'm not supposed to do but it's really satisfying rolling eggs off a table and watching them splat onto the floor is probably really satisfying earlier when the cat stuck his paw into my cup of water it would have been satisfying to pour the cup of water over his head. Did sure. I do it? No. Maybe you should have. I probably should have. It would have been really funny. It's just water and he would have lived. Um, and maybe he would have learned his lesson. No. Nah. Cats don't learn lessons. <laughs> so, yeah. But it's... Do it, you think about, like, Fred and Stanley? Stanley's kind of doing the same thing with Fred. He's really, though... If, if, if he really is taking him to, this, him to this Shakespeare club that's not really a Shakespeare club so that he can get laid by these young co-eds... He's really fucking up his life. It's interesting because, I, again, I feel like everything that Shirley does is for her own self-interest. But I understand why she's doing it. Uh, you know, to, like I said, to yeah, get into those to characters, into the to complete the, yes. the book. You know, it's for this creative endeavor. And I don't know 
why Stanley is because fucking with himself. Because he's a fucking so sick fuck. That's what I mean. You can tell it's for his own self interest. He does the same shit to Shirley. He treats her like but, crap. Right. It's, it seems yeah. like he just he just gets he a just cheap likes thrill to fuck out with of people. It. Yeah. So here Shirley has this creative outlet that she has, and I feel like Stanley just needs to find his creative outlet <laughs> because he's, he's just fucking with people's he's lives. A he's a writing critic and a fucking professor. Which is and funny. He the I, shit doesn't stink. I yeah, and I want to tell him like, hey man, why don't you try your hand at it? Because I get the feeling that all of this stuff that he does is a cover for the fact that he can't create anything. And he's pissed off about the fact That's that he can't create. what everybody create. said about critics, like, through eternity. Well, it's fucking true. But if you can't actually create anything, what do you want to do? You want to sit there and pick on everything else that other people can yeah. create? Like, you know, the lecture that you did that was crap. Or His your, lecture your wasn't derivative, terrible. Or your, oh, your, what he was saying about yeah, Fred. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. your derivative, uh, uh, the fuck's it called? Uh... His, his thesis. thesis. His thank thesis. you. Yes, your thesis. I loved that so much because he brings him home and they're going to so celebrate. Excited. They're going to drink the good wine and he sits him down. And I also liked watching Fred d- deliver the lecture because it's just a carbon copy of what Stanley had done before. He plays the music, they talk. Except he was so awkward. You it, was, he was. it was. Yeah, so, he was, yeah. He was playing. He was play uh, acting. Yeah. Um, which is really great. Also, I liked um, when they ended up dancing in the house afterwards to celebrate. Um, Stanley was singing The House Carpenter. And I I don't, I didn't know that, I think it's Scottish or something. I was looking it up last night. But there's a band I really like called Hurt. And they sing lyrics from The House Carpenter in one of their songs, which I really like, called The House Carpenter. But anyways, um, it would just make me happy. But yeah, and then they're sitting at the table and they're celebrating it. All is great and wonderful. What is the word? There's a word. Words to describe it. And you're just, you can see it coming and you get excited because you just... You, I didn't like Because what did she say? She was say, she said something about it like being engaging for, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, like a uh, research thesis. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, that's not it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just was, I really didn't care so much for Fred. He just seemed kind of like blah and like kind of a dick. And he's kind of, a, he's a lot of a dick to his wife. He signs her up to fucking take care of this house. And he doesn't find them another place to live. And his wife's fucking pregnant with his kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's going out every night fucking co-eds leaving her in the house with this crazy lady and so he kind of got what he deserved like he knows stanley he knows what kind of person stanley is i also loved when stanley was get what he deserved what did he get he got somebody calling his thesis derivative which i bet it was that's not what you deserve hundreds of hours researching and writing to ensure that he didn't and you didn't have a single original thought in it (laughs) i would love to read it (laughs) um and i also really liked stanley bitching to shirley about this kid just thinks he can just come and get whatever you know he doesn't he hasn't earned it he isn't you know me he doesn't he'll never get tenure he doesn't deserve tenure like he's just going on about it <laughs> just like this is the classic like so fucking sensitive old generation versus the younger generation like we're always bitching about how the younger generation doesn't have it as hard as we did well and- it's not even just that i think he's he's afraid he's afraid well, that yes, he can't course. but i mean he's afraid that he can't live up to this new kid it kind of makes sense he'd be afraid he can't live up to his own wife I feel like Stanley was very in control of everything. I feel like outwardly he certainly makes that seem true. But that doesn't mean that internally he's necessarily in control. He was very fun to watch. Oh, yeah. No, he was very fun to watch. Love her when he's he's trying to get her out of bed and he gives her a cigarette and she's barely holding the cigarette. It's basically about to burn her arm. She's holding it so close to her arm because she just can, she just barely can hold on to the cigarette. She's just laying in bed. I've been there. I know that feeling. Fuck yeah. I've had somebody count to three to try to get me out of bed. First it was my mother, then it was my husband. I've never had somebody... (laughs) Well, I guess my parents probably have when I was a kid, but like... Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh... It it, it can be hard to get out of bed sometimes. (laughs) I did also have a little bit of a... True crime is such a thing. If Mm -hmm. There are lots of podcasts. There are lots of indie podcasts. There... I feel like there is an and I could be wrong on saying it's an overabundance of true crime podcasts. I would agree with that. There yeah. are true crime everything. My yeah. sister likes this one called True Crime All the Time. I tried, I'm not a true crime person. I'm just not into that kind of no, stuff. No, I would say if there's a certain story that has piqued my interest, then I might find more like try things to dig on into it. it. Yeah, but yeah. otherwise, I don't, I don't need to hear about what you, podcaster, <laughs> an expert in nothing, have to say about an, in an investigation going on you know, 
500 miles away from you <laughs> with people you've never met and don't know. No, it's so you're so bullshit. you're watching Rosie and Shirley talk about because sure, you started to suspect Rosie him. comes back and she's got the medical records and she's got the um, I love all the conclusions that yes, they drew. Yeah, it's so great. Yeah, but they're what would the what the uh, postman say and then they're kind of just talking about you know all this stuff and it, it did feel very like women trying to solve crime kind of a thing and so she do you think then that rosie thought that stanley was the one who disappeared the girl because she faked the name in the book first of all who disappeared the girl Disappe- he made he disappeared her. it's he a disappeared mafia her. thing right that's what they say in the mafia i'm gonna disappear you <laughs> i don't think so um no i don't i don't think that she really believed that i so think then why did she try to frame him with that library book uh because i think she was getting a little bit too into that kind of made up crazy-ish persona Man. of you know Shirley's reaction causing trouble throwing sandwiches and breaking eggs and running free out in the woods and just kind of giving into that that sort of crazy real side I think she let it go just a little bit too far and but, wanted to see what would happen and then she Shirley called her on Shirley it. too far because Shirley, then Shirley it, yeah. of course eats the library card yeah which is fabulous great and then tells her the Shakespeare Club isn't real yep so turn yes, young girl, do not play me. Exactly, do not try to exactly. play me. I'm dominant in this situation. Right. But yeah, I did. I did think about the true crime thing, which again, I'm not really into it. I don't have much else to say to it about that. Um, <laughs> I'm curious. Do you find Stanley? Do you find Stanley attractive? Would you? Yes. No, um, but I do think he certainly exudes a, a sort of confidence. And I can see how, especially young co-eds, would be attracted to that. Attracted to, attracted to his confidence. Attracted maturity, to his maybe? maturity, his his intelligence. You know the way that he speaks about things. Um, I could definitely see see young women flocking to that. But that's not for you. Uh, could you? Would you have flocked when you were a young woman? I don't recall having crushes on any of like my college professors i had this one guy he had real long hair like 80s hair band length hair yeah and i remember he used the word crestfallen in a sentence and i was like whoa but i was not trying to dim no i i had a religious studies professor who i was taken with but not in like a i wasn't attracted to him at all it was but it was a similar kind of thing where Mm -hmm. he he was so engaging and he was so smart and he knew so much about this and uh, the stuff that he taught and, and he had so much to say that I was just, you know, thoroughly, like, enraptured, mm-hmm. um, but not in a romantic way. Yeah, I don't know that I ever, I mean, I had crushes on, like, I had a cr- crush on when I was, like, in middle school. I remember having crushes on, like, like my trumpet lesson guy. Yeah, I don't remember anybody in, like, high school either. No, no, no. But I, I do understand, and I think they, they pointed that out at one point. Uh, yeah, when Rosie was like, well, why would she ever meet him at the trailhead, though? Why would she ever meet mm-hmm. him there alone? And Shirley was like, if you were her, if you were, you know, you were young and you were secluded and, uh, you know, everybody else, you didn't belong anywhere. Yep. And this one person showed interest. And not only is that one, that one person is somebody who could have anyone he wants Mm -hmm. because he's this brilliant professor and he's he knows everything and why didn't they meet on campus because it's probably somebody everybody knows yeah (laughs) but i mean you know given all of that wouldn't you also meet with him and my reaction is i'm a pretty paranoid person so i probably wouldn't just because i'm super paranoid but would i want to i probably would have wanted to at the very least i am so stupid when it comes to boys like yeah you have some i'm really dumb i do dumb stuff i say dumb stuff but i just forget i just forget i just get into this place of like and i think it is because i don't have a lot of practice at it i didn't get a lot of practice when i was a kid i don't think so i think it's just you oh you do yeah (laughs) well that's a relief i don't mean that in an insulting way i I I think you just you're a control freak about many things in your life and i think when you when you fall into something because i see it in it's not just boys it's, it's it could be everything. anything it could be a, a yeah. conversation or a movie mm-hmm. or whatever like i think if you fall into something everything else just fizzles away yeah. which is kind of admirable really no, i i can't bananas. do that it's stupid it could get you into trouble i could see that but it at has, least you're able to let yes. go i can't let go when i sleep if i sleep <laughs> fuck i can't even but sleep. i i have done dumb things to be with 
boys. And I, like, so, yeah, I would 100% have met what's-his-face at the trailer. <laughs> you would have been disappeared. Probably. I guess when she... And talk- I would be locked in my house and agoraphobic <laughs> writing about your disappearance. <laughs> I, when Shirley talks about the dozens of lonely girls who can't make the world see them, and I was thinking about these lonely, desperate women, and then thinking back on, like, the whole thing about the patriarchy and whatnot. So the patriarchy is essentially creating these things, these women, these lonely, desperate women, and, and then, then feeding abusing off them. them and yeah. making them disappear and mistreating them. Shirley mistreated Rosie, and... um. Fred mistreated Rosie, and Stanley mistreated Rosie, and Stanley mistreats all the women in his life. Um, and they end up having a daughter, and she's going to go through the whole thing again, too. It's gross. Yeah. It's gross. Um, I mean, I thought it was really sad when Shirley said, let's pray for a boy. Mm-hmm. You know? Let's... Like, that's fucked up. I always think about when I was, you know, under the age of 12, how kind of, like, I was always really melodramatic and, like, very... You? <laughs> You know, like, wow, look at me. What was the story about the dance? And you were like, I danced with this boy. And it was like my skin was on fire. I thought it was on fire. The fire dance. That was sixth grade. So it was right around that age. But that actually was probably when it stopped. I feel like I have all of this confidence and excitement about life and energy. And nobody's going to hold me back. I'm the same as anybody else. I have this, you know, the world's my oyster. And then you hit a point at which it's like... You have to look a certain way. You have to dress a certain way. Mm. Your skin has to be a certain way. And, like, a, a pimple on my face just makes me hunch over and hide from people. And my hair isn't right. And you just, you start trying so hard. And I don't think that it just, that's just for women. I think that, that men and boys experience the same thing, just maybe a little bit differently. And I think it's force-fed to women, though. I, I do think that every human being has insecurities. And mm. every human being wants to be loved and is terrified that they won't be loved for any variety of reasons. The problem is that women are fed so much more uh, bullshit about you will only be loved if you look Mm. a certain way and behave a certain way. And again, I'm not saying that men don't get that too, but not as much. Look at the magazines out there that cater towards beauty for women. Look at the fashion industry and what it does to women. Look at Mm -hmm. the movies and television shows where you see... You can be an old guy. You can have a dad body. Exactly. You see the the actor who's in his 50s who's married to an actress who's in her 30s because we can't hire a Mm 50-year-old woman to play a 50-year-old woman. Mm -hmm. You know, you can watch any of the teen shows where the mother is 10 years older (laughs) than the daughter. It's fucking ridiculous and not only that but even if you do see a 50 year old actress she looks fucking she either looks fucking good or she looks terrible because of all the work she's had done but she doesn't look like herself with the Mm -hmm. exception of a few rarities whom are typically really great actresses i think that's one of the ways you can tell if somebody's a really great actress is if they're allowed to age they're good yeah and it's sad and it makes Like, what's one of the things I really like? Well, I was, again, talking to you about skincare shit today Mm -hmm. because I found this other brand that I want to try, and it's so expensive. And then I'm like, why am I spending all this money on shit for my face? In part, it's because I like it. I like to try new things. It's a fun – it's like an experiment for me. But why do I feel the need to put this shit on my face? Why don't I just feel the need to slap on some SPF and go live my life? Wash my face, slap on some SPF, and live my life. Why do I cry when I get dressed? You really – Eh, sometimes. But you know what I mean? Like, it's if I look at myself, if I look at myself, there are days now with, with quarantine and working from home that I may not even leave the house. And yet if I pass myself in the mirror and I don't, and I think I look fat, mm. it makes me sad. And I'm the only one seeing myself. Yeah. But I find it so difficult to reframe that because I've well in part because I'm me and it's really easy for me to hate myself like I admit that but but how much have we been fed through the media and through social interactions through fucking growing up in high school going to high school in the 90s was like a a lesson in how to be anorexic if not bulimic I mean I feel like that it's been I mean maybe it's probably that way now I have no idea if it's that way now I haven't been to high school in forever but certainly I I know in the 90s it definitely was you know don't let anybody see you eating oh yeah no I didn't I wouldn't eat lunch I would it's middle school and high school I wouldn't eat lunch Mm -hmm. and then I would go home at 3 p.m. and I would just eat whatever shit was in the house yeah and it ends up creating a really unhealthy not only an unhealthy outlook on you know body image but just an unhealthy habit to have yes, and an unhealthy relationship with food food yeah. should not be my enemy no food should be i put it in my body to say myself yeah and i 
to this day, I'm 38 years old. I have a super unhealthy relationship with food Mm -hmm. daily. Literally everything that I eat is judged by me Mm -hmm. and me alone as either good or bad. Not fuel Mm -hmm. or um, even, you know, like, yeah, I might judge that it tastes good, but the tastes good uh, on top of that, I'm also, again, always questioning if everything is good or bad, good or bad, good or bad, good or bad, good or bad. And it's all related to how I end up looking. This is going to make me fat. It's never, this won't kill me, right. or this, this will, will kill help me, me or this feel will, better. This exactly, is or this help will me. fuel me for a workout. It's like Andy Dwyer in Parks and Rec. Like, that was spaghetti. This was ice cream. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> when he figures out that food is energy. Yeah. <laughs> I've said that for years, too. I think it's so great if you, you know, if you go anywhere but America, in Europe, if you flip over the back of a carton of anything, it doesn't say how many calories are in mm-hmm. it. It says how much energy, energy is in it. It's the same fucking thing. But just that little turn of phrase, just the word, yeah. so that you can actually see what you're really getting out of something. Yeah, that's, I, yeah, I, it does make me sad. And, and I, I figured out the other day why I am this way with food, I think. It started with potty training. My mother rewarded me <laughs> My mother rewarded me for using the toilet with M&M's. That happened to a lot of kids. <laughs> I don't think that was just That me. is what is wrong with me. I, I reward so. myself with food because my mother gave me M&M's when I was on the pot. I mean, sure. I, you know, I... To this day, I have all of my meals in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> then maybe that's right. I have to strip down naked, sit on the toilet, and I have a little TV tray. The only tray. way I can allow myself to eat is if I go potty first. <laughs> I I think there are always things that you can find. Like, uh, I have an older brother, and teenage boys eat fucking everything. So I used to hoard food mm-hmm. <laughs> through my uh, formative years. I would hoard things. And if there were things that I couldn't hoard and, like, take to my room and keep to myself, I would eat them immediately. So, you know, grocery day was Sunday. Sunday was grocery mm-hmm. day. And you better pay attention to everything that gets put away and make sure you know exactly what's there. And I would, like, immediately grab, you know, a certain bag of chips or something. Maybe I'm going to immediately grab them and I'm going to eat all that I can. Because if they sit for even just a few hours, he's going to eat them all. And that does still – I live alone. I live alone, and yet <laughs> I still am like your source of food. I will still stand over the kitchen counter and just like. <laughs> That's really funny. My in my house, it was my dad was like the Hoover. After there were never leftovers because my dad would be like, "Okay, did you get enough? Because I'm gonna eat whatever." My left. dad will still do that. It's funny. I'll go over to my parents for dinner, and we'll sit down, we'll have dinner, and then my dad will go have second dinner. So like, if you <laughs> if you want anything, you damn well better make sure it's on your plate when you first. If you think to yourself, you know what. I might want a few extra tater tots. You put them on your plate before you sit down. So isn't that interesting, though? We're talking about the men in our lives hoovering up the food. Son of a bitch! And us feeling like we're not... And, and, us, and, we, were, and we just said, like, we were told for years, don't eat. Don't eat. It's bad for you. I was don't listening let see you to eat. that. Since we've been listening, both of us have been listening to a lot of episodes of Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard, and there was an episode with Gwendolyn... I want to say Gwendolyn Powell, but I'm probably butchering that, but she... Um, I listened to that episode because a friend of mine recommended it because she tells a story about how she has the kids in the house with their friends and they're all in this room together, like the girls and the boys. And she goes in and she's like, hey guys, the pizza's here, it's time to eat. And all of the girls did this thing where they all looked at each other. Uh There was a silent communication and then one of them speaks for the crowd and says, we're not hungry right now. Mm -hmm. And none of them eat. All the boys, yeah, let's, we're hungry, let's go. And they all just kind of got up and went. And it was this... Do you still do that? Do you find yourself... I, I think over no, the last... No, because I'll be the first one to... Like, if I'm at a table with people and nobody else is drinking, I'm drinking. Like, eating, I, though, with food. No, I'm still... If I'm hungry, I'll eat. If I'm not hungry... Okay. Unless... Well, that's good. Um, I, no, no, no. If men are involved, it changes. I will do when that. When men are around, I 100% eat less. Even, uh, again, going over to my parents for dinner, I, I won't serve myself first. I never will. Because I'm... I've had them. I've had them say it before. I've had them say things like, "Do you really need all of that?" And they're mm. not doing anything. They're not doing anything bad. Mom it's, and dad. But it's still because I'm so sensitive about it. I don't want to experience it. So even just being, even with my parents, who I know don't really judge me and don't really care about that, I, even then, I'm like, "I'm you. You serve yourselves first. I'll take what I want after that." Um, or like at work, you know, if pizza's brought into work or something, I don't want to be the first one down there. Oh, I'm really? not going to look eager. I don't want to look eager. I don't want to be the first one down there because I don't want to have to wait in line. I just, well, I don't want to have to wait in line. <laughs> but I, I, I really 100% don't, I don't want to be the first one to take food 
ever if I can help it because I don't want to I'm in my mind if I do that everyone will see me and everyone will think there's the fat cow going out to pasture like I just that's what plays in my head if I care about what a guy thinks of me it's not just guys it's, for me either. it is it, for me it's guys because I think if I'm if I'm with my friends I'm gonna eat and do whatever the fuck I want well yeah if you're with people you're super comfortable yeah, with yeah. maybe but even if I'm not I think maybe well, it is good. different maybe it is different because I guess if I was with people from like if I was visiting with a a co-worker I didn't know that well I'd probably be a little bit more mild-mannered about my food consumption but um but I feel like if I'm with it if, if I was on a date or if I am on a date like I definitely am watching what I'm and I don't eat as much and mm-hmm. I it's just and maybe it's nerves maybe that's what it is I'm just not comfortable eating eating or like because I'm talking so I don't eat as much but I definitely, I'm I've thinking noticed about that about it. myself. Like, I, I'm actually actively I'm thinking, thinking about, like, about, how do I look while I'm chewing this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, order the thing that's easy to eat so that you don't, or order a thing that doesn't have a lot of onions in it, which I've been scarred for life about onions because I went to a movie with my friends when we were in high school and we went to Subway and I got onions on my sandwich and there were some real powerful onions and we were sitting in the theater and I was between my friends and they were like, Leah your breath is <laughs> so disgusting bad. so i got a huge box of junior mints and i ate the whole thing and Ugh. it just hurt my stomach so bad yeah um never and i was like never again i love onions yeah no I I, onions them. are great <sighs> fucking food it's the worst well anything else about shirley i'm glad you i liked it too i liked it a lot i'm still thinking about it i'm still yeah. trying to figure it out it definitely left me with lots of things to think about i don't think i'm I don't think there's anything I'm trying to figure out. I, I, I'm more just, like I said, it it made me feel something, mm. which was great. Inspired. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like. I, yeah, I guess I, yeah, I don't know. I guess I thought I was watching it and I wasn't thinking about the acting. I was just thinking about the story, which says to me the acting is quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was into the and it's Odessa Young played Rosie Logan Logan Lerman played Stanley yeah. or sorry Fred Fred I think it's hard to with what is essentially a period piece mm. I think a lot of times people will really fall into an overdone uh way of of being somebody who actually lived in that time period and they forget about just being a fucking human mm. and I didn't see that in this movie which was good you know I thought yeah. everybody that those four main characters I thought were great um, I bought them as real people who were part of that era as mm-hmm. opposed to actors trying to pretend they're in a certain era. And again, I feel like Elizabeth Moss, I blame the Invisible Man on the writing and the directing and whatnot, but I feel like she's better in something like this. There's just, it felt more like a... There, I think she needs some depth. I, I wonder if maybe that's part of it, that when there isn't a whole lot of depth to a character... She gets a little bit weird with it, maybe. There I don't wasn't. Know. A, you don't feel like there was enough. That character from the Invisible Man was just kind of weird. I felt like. Yeah, like she was supposed to maybe be crazy, but they didn't really play that yeah, up very much. I, and I, yeah, yeah, I just didn't think it was done that well. I think I read something from the writer. I think he's the writer director. Maybe it's just the director. It's um, Lee Wanell, who I think wrote Saw. The first saw. He's actually mm-hmm. one of the guys in the first saw. The one who's in the room. I barely remember. I think he's it. in the room with Carrie Elwes's character mm-hmm. um, at the end. Um, but it, anyway, he's um, he was saying I think one of the things about that that film, The Invisible Man, was just the playing on like the cameras. The cameras are everywhere now. Mm-hmm. They're always watching us. So that kind of thing. But and I I got that, and I mm-hmm. you know. I, I didn't think it was a terrible, terrible movie. It just wasn't good. Yeah. But this was very good. Yeah, yeah, Would yeah. highly recommend. I'm yes. glad that I got to watch it for free, so to speak. I mean, I pay for a Hulu Thank you, Hulu. But, but yeah. Yeah, it was quite good. It would have been, I think it would have been fun to watch in the theater. Um, kind of moody, dark feeling. Um, uh, I'm sure it would have been. I, I, I don't know that it, this would be in a wide release, though. I appreciated being able to be at home with it though yeah are you gonna go back to the movie theaters when they open back up um well for certain movies i mean you will for like when the big releases come out like the marvel stuff and yeah probably probably they push tenant back another it's supposed to come out in july i think they pushed it back another couple of weeks but yeah i mean i think that's 
we'll see when they open and what it'll be like and when stuff comes out and you know i don't know somebody was telling me it's like when the theaters do start to open back up and maybe this is st louis county i don't know about st charles but they're gonna have people sitting further apart from each other Mm -hmm. you would have to i would imagine and that you have to wear a mask unless you're eating or drinking which just seems dumb to me well i don't know how you could figure that because exactly like like, if you have a thing of popcorn you're eating throughout the entire thing stupid um so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I feel like movie theaters are already kind of a little bit gross, like like airplanes in a way. Yeah, I think that's why the the movie theater doesn't scare me as much because I've already been operating off of don't touch anything. Everything here is covered in fecal bacteria. <laughs> it's so disgusting in here. I, I think she also the person I was talking to said that they were gonna have, and I love this is like third hand, not real news. They were gonna put seat covers down and then like like disposable ones, like tarps. Not tarps, but just like throw probably, tarps down for the animals. Like when you have your car and you go get an oil change and they put something down to keep the seat clean, something disposable, like paper. Yeah, like going to the doctor's office. Yeah, yeah. Or, so I'm okay. sure you'll hear the crinkling. Oh. It'll be like those sun chips bags that were yeah. really loud. Yeah, this is super great. And, and so fun. then, no, I'm never going back. <laughs> but so you would like if they opened up tomorrow, you would go if it was a big release that you really wanted to see. Maybe here's my other thing with the theater. I hate being around people. Well, sure. Always have. Um, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I tend to see movies, like, on a Sunday morning, mm. you know, so I'm... are people. Right. So, if I operated off of that same philosophy, you know, like, wait a week and go on a Sunday morning, I don't think I'd really be around that many people anyway, so... But even then, I I don't go to the movies that often. There has to be something, because it's so fucking expensive. It and is. it's kind of a pain yeah. in the ass, you know, when we have mm-hmm. so many things at our disposal at home. Um, so, it would have to be something that I really want to see. Like a big release, like a Marvel movie uh yeah scarlet witch uh is that gonna be a marvel movie no 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 it's the um fuck the black widow movie black widow yeah great fun fabulous yeah and i do want to see it and and i want to see tenant i mean there are things but am i necessarily going to go back to the theater right away i don't know we'll see all right well We'll see what happens. But anyway, thanks for coming over. It was a dream. Yeah. And uh, bye, everybody. We shall see you on the flip side. Weird. Yeah, I know. That was weird. The movie virgins. Hey, people. This is Leah. I did want to clarify that the name of the woman who guested on an episode of Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard and who authored the book Untamed, which I have in my possession and I have yet to read, is Glennon Doyle, not Gwendolyn Powell. I tried. I did try, but it's Glennon Doyle. And the book is Untamed and my friends love it. I haven't read it yet. I need to get on that. My friend Beth just adores her and it sounds like she's sort of like a modern day philosopher. So I think every every one of us should probably go out and read her books. Um, So anyway, thank you for listening. This was another fun one. It was really nice to get back to the normalcy of recording together in the same room. Like I said, we're playing it safe, not doing anything dirty. Promises, promises. Purity. Um, So anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Wherever you are listening, please subscribe. If you're on Apple Podcasts, rate us and review us. We would love that. We would really appreciate it. Hit us up on Twitter at MovieVirginsPod. And we'll see you next time. One last thing. The music in this episode was written and performed by Melissa Powers.